0: Hello, welcome to live from Cap Times Idea Fest. I'm Eric Lawrenson with the Capital Times. Over the course of the past week, we've been bringing you recordings of interviews and conversations from our first ever Idea Fest at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Today, the New Glarus Brewing story. Deb Carey, the president of New Glarus Brewing, shares the origin story of Wisconsin's iconic craft brewery in this talk with WKOW TV reporter Amber Noggle. She also talks about her approach to running a business and weighs in on the politics of beer and liquor in Wisconsin. All right, let's get started. I hope you enjoy the talk.
1: Okay, how are we doing today? Hi, everybody. Good afternoon. Welcome to Idea Fest. This is awesome, right? Hopefully, you've been able to check out a few of the sessions. I'm Amber Noggle from WKOW 27 News, and I'm so happy to be here today for the very first Idea Fest. I think this is an incredible opportunity for everybody, and I'm really excited because I have Deb Carey here. She is the founder and president of New Glarus Brewing. So let's give her a round of applause. <laughs> and I'm thinking right now on a warm day like this, a glass of Spotted Cow. would be good. Amazing. Yeah. So I'll go have one after this. We should have brought him with us, right? Right. Should have.
0: <laughs> Would have been a more popular uh, talk, <laughs> free beer.
1: Free beer. It's All generally right. what I do. <laughs> um, I think we you know know some of you professionally, but it'd be fun to start with a little bit of you personally. So tell me where you were born and raised.
0: I was born in Milwaukee, and I lived in Chippewa Falls in Eau Claire. When I was a sophomore in high school, we moved to Colorado, and then I finished high school in Montana. Okay. So three high schools in three states tells a lot about me. And I met my husband, Dan, who's here with me today when we were both 23 years old in Montana.
1: So did you always have a love of beer between the two of you or was this something?
0: No, uh, this is Dan's thing. I am an entrepreneur so okay. and an artist. I started my first business when I was 16 and I made postcards and Christmas cards and things like that. I had a graphics business and then painted murals for people through college. And that is how I met Dan, that he had come to work at a brewery and I thought, ooh, I'll bet they need some help with their graphics. And so I went there to look for work. And that's how we got together.
1: How interesting. So did you brew at all at home before? Nope, I
0: am not the beer part of this equation. Maybe we should grab Dan. I run the business, so okay. I take care of investors, loans, um, all of the marketing, the wholesalers, distribution. Uh, but Dan takes care of all production. I have a lot of say over what beers we make and what the flavors are, but um, I am not the brewer and I'm and I do love beer and I appreciate it but I have to give him credit for the real passion to be. He's a diploma master brewer, and there's only a handful of those really in the United States.
1: So tell me about the idea to start your own brewery.
0: Well, that was born a little bit of frustration. The um, Our lives together, Dan worked for a small brewery in Montana, was not paid well, didn't have health insurance, paid him once a month, bounced paychecks for two, three weeks, which is hard when you have small children. We lived in a single wide trailer and it was 20 years old, so not very glamorous, but it, you know, it's hard if you don't have money to buy formula. So he took a job with an equipment fabricator and built breweries for 50 different breweries around the United States. Sometimes all of them, sometimes just parts of them and during that time i started my first real you know big retail business where i had regional artists and uh antiques like kind of in a mall in a historic district south of portland and then after that since i'm running a business which is a lot of hours of work and weekends and he's traveling all the time that was difficult so he was offered a job with anheuser bush we thought oh good finally health insurance and some decent hours and we packed up the family and went to Fort Collins, Colorado. But um, I'm not a very corporate person, neither is Dan. And so we got tired of the rotating shifts and the politics of it. I used to say it's like the firm, only without the murder. And I, <laughs> it's really true. So I wanted desperately to come back to my home state of Wisconsin. And so I said, well, how about I start a brewery and you come work for me? and you know, like he's had worse bosses. And um, <laughs> he, he said yes. And I think he said yes thinking, and as did I. It would take years to put this together. It would never happen. It's just an idea. But I started researching places. And then Dan got on the phone and was checking malt prices. And it turned out serendipitously that there was a uh, SBA foreclosure sale of a brew pub in Appleton. And I, he got off the phone and was just white as a sheet. And I said, what happened? And he he told me and I said, oh, I'm going to bid on that equipment. And he said, you can't. We don't have any money. And I said, I'm going to sell the house. And he said, you can't. We're living in it. And I said, <laughs> by the time this is done, I'll have sold the house. And um, that is exactly what I did.
1: That's something. So that was, you know, that takes real passion and guts. And
0: Yeah, Well, I believed in, I believe still, I mean, he has a special gift and I wanted our family to be able to spend time together. And I didn't see that happening on the corporate path we were on. And, um, I, you know, now in retrospect, I do think I if somebody else told me they're going to do this, I'd, I'd sit them down maybe and tell them that, take a nap and let's think about this. (laughs) But uh, at the time, it seemed very clear to me. And so I did start bidding on the equipment and we lived not that far from Denver, Fort Collins is about an hour, hour and a half. So I took the train with the girls up to Madison, which, um, or to Milwaukee, I guess it was, and then the bus over. And of course it was late, and we got food poisoning, and I got up in the morning and negotiated a loan with no payments and no interest at a local bank and found a house to rent, and by the time I was done, I had lined up the equipment, the foreclosure for the equipment which is a whole nother story because there was a side drama going on where somebody was trying to like get it to their cousin or something like that. I ended up talking to the state attorney general, all kinds of crazy things. But I did get it. And then I came back and I said, okay, put in your notice and packed the house and threw everything in the U-Haul and drug the car behind and came up here.
1: I'd be interested to know what he was thinking throughout this whole process.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think he was thinking, oh no. (laughs) (laughs)
1: we're gonna have to
0: do this. He's on record as saying he thought we would go under in a couple years.
1: So you know how to get things done, essentially. I do,
0: I do. So
1: what drew you to New then?
0: Well um, how we found New I looked at the demographics for quite a few areas before starting the brewery. Some in Oregon, some in Colorado, some in Montana, um, because there are places I was familiar with and in Wisconsin. Madison and also the Fox Valley and I thought Madison had the mixture of things that I was looking for and I'd sent Dan up who had not really been to Wisconsin he'd gone to school in Chicago but we hadn't spent any time up here and I s- drew a 30-mile circle around Madison and I said well, you know like I'm getting my state so go look at the cities and see what you think and I sent him in February because. You know, if a California guy likes Wisconsin in February, he'll <laughs> like it all the and time. Was yeah. kind of my <laughs> thought, and uh, so he drove around and he he went. He was going to Monroe to visit a brewmaster friend, and he stopped in New Glarus and he said to me, "It looks like Aying, which is a place we'd lived outside of Munich, and and there was a building that was also for sale. That was like ten thousand square feet and had three-phase power and a couple of loading docks. And um, when I met with that man. He came on as my first investor and traded me stock for occupation of the building for a year. Yeah. So that was, it all came together. Yeah. This is how you know there's a God, mm-hmm. very serendipitously. Fate. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And New Glarus is beautiful. I mean, it it's is. stunning out there. Yeah, so.
0: it is. it is per, uh, For us, it's perfect because we're so close to Madison, but it's a, it was a great place to raise our children and a close community and lots of, it's not really a bedroom community so much. Like they have a bakery, a couple sausage places, nice grocery store, lots of good places to eat, decent beer. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a City nice place beer. to live. Yeah, it's a nice place to live.
1: And how old were your kids when you made this big move?
0: Um, I Kate was in kindergarten and I think Nicole was about fourth grade and now they're in their thirties and we're grandparents.
1: Oh uh, how exciting! Yeah. Congratulations! Yeah. thank you. Well, Twenty-five great.
0: years next year. Oh my goodness! For the brewery. That's
1: wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's a big. It's a big year. Yeah. It's a big year. Do you yeah. have anything planned for that big celebration or?
0: No, I'm trying to think of something. If you have ideas, <laughs> let's brainstorm for yeah, her. Yeah, go ahead and put them on the slips <laughs> s- of so paper. Put them the cards. <laughs> put them
1: on the cards. Um, so, you know, New Glarus, um, a rural depressed area. Yep. So what obstacles did you face building in an area like that?
0: Well, there's a lot of small breweries starting in rural depressed areas, or not even rural, but just depressed areas in Wisconsin. And that has been very consistent across the nation. And, and it's part of the reason that I'm proud to have the brewery and be part of the craft brewing movement is that craft brewers in general, you need it's very expensive for the equipment and to try to get things going. It takes a long time before you make money. So to buy some crappy old warehouse is pretty standard issue. And you look at Sprecher was hanging out in a condemned building forever, Capitals in an old eggplant. I mean, so for us to be in an old warehouse is pretty much how they start. But it helps turn the economy around when you have something that's agriculture, manufacturing like that, and also a tourism draw, and I think the food industry is so important for Wisconsin's tourism, so, you know, all those things feed together. Wasn't an obstacle, I guess. Your question was, what's the obstacle? wasn't an obstacle. It was good to be in a small town, and it was purposeful because I knew we did not have, we didn't have money, so there would be no possibility of 65 public hearings while they discuss things in a big city <laughs> right. that n- no we would be under so so
1: did you get a lot of support from the community when you yes. were first building yeah
0: okay. they were really sweet they would see us working there and do things like drop off orange juice at five in the morning or
1: isn't that the best yeah I they, love they would that about send Wisconsin. pizzas yeah <laughs> so friendly and they always want to welcome you with open yeah arms. yeah
0: they were they were happy to have us there so they would, they would send us food and things on a pretty regular basis. It was very sweet.
1: Uh, how long was this process then to really kind of get things up and running and to start moving forward?
0: Well, the um, it, I think it was the fastest microbrewery startup ever. We were here the third week of June. We had beer in October. Wow. So, and it was all, I mean, when Dan picked up the equipment and he was driving it back, it was like, this spaghetti mess of pipes with electrical stuff like the person had just ripped their equipment out of the building. And then we really genuinely went over and hired people from the local bar to help us stand the tanks up. And uh, Dan hosed down the cement floors to see where the low spots were. And that's where drains went and cut up the floor. And I mean, it was just us.
1: Labor of love, right? Yeah, it's it's a
0: lot of really hard work.
1: Yeah. And do you find that you're still, you know, 25 years later, do you still have to work really hard every day? Or are you at yes. that point? Yes. Okay.
0: Yes, I do work very hard every day. <laughs> there was a brewery, a smaller brewery who shall remain nameless, stopped by yesterday, and the guys said, because they're only a couple of years into it, so they said, so it's getting easier, right? And I was like, nope. <laughs> it's still, still working weekends you're in
1: for it yeah well
0: you have to be passionate about it it's a incredibly competitive landscape there are thousands of beers people can choose from and there are some really huge competitors and so you know retailers have a lot of choices consumers have a lot of choices it's a, it's a tough road to hoe and a lot of the things that I do now, I don't do as much physical work. I'm not helping keg beer, working on the bottling line. But there's still important jobs of trying to plan the growth, or we've got lots of expansion going on and hiring people. I mean, it, they're busy days.
1: And um, did you, this is an industry that's male dominated? Yes. Did you run into any obstacles with that, being a woman and running a brewery?
0: I don't know because i have nothing to compare it to having not spent any time as a man however i can tell you i don't i don't mean to be rude but i can tell you that there was a turning point for me uh really a long time ago where i was at a conference and i know the guy was from sierra nevada and everybody was in a room like this talking about the industry and how horrible it is and being treated awfully by their retailers and wholesalers and i mean really it'll almost put you out of business a number of times and so everybody's commiserating and i said and i'm like the only woman in the room i said i think it's worse because i'm a woman and they just jumped down my throat and they said no this is a tough business it's a bare knuckle fight and if you don't have the balls for it you need to get up and get out it is a tough industry and i thought yeah you're right like why how, how does pity ever get anybody ahead, you know? So that is what it is. This is my row and this is where I'm planted and I just do the best I can every day.
1: Well, you're wildly successful now.
0: Yeah, Did kind of.
1: Did you ever of. imagine? <laughs> no. You should be giving yourself a pat on the back every day. Yeah, Because thanks. I think, you know, everyone, um, it's, it's a product that everyone in the state can be proud of. You yeah, know, it's, thank it's a product you. that we brag about. I, uh, I got married last year,, yep. at the Madison Club uh, downtown, and Spotted Cow was our beer of choice that we had for everyone available at the wedding. And uh, it was so fun watching my friends from out of town who had never been able to try it, try it and how much they love it, and probably the experience for a lot of people. And I think you know that's something you guys can obviously be proud of.
0: Yeah, I am really proud of it. It's a funny thing because, I mean, I'm from this state and I am like annoyingly proud of Wisconsin. I do think it is the best place on the planet. We have the best of everything and I will take anybody right to the mat if they disagree with me. (laughs) But I didn't imagine that we would be the brewery of all the wonderful breweries in the state. I did not think that we would be the brewery to be, you know, identified with the state. I just hoped we could hold our own. But i was really careful and i think why people like it is because we are so involved with our business and i try hard to live with integrity you know we pay a living wage we pay health insurance Um, we're there at work every day so people see us all the time we're involved in the community and so dan does make world-class beer without a doubt but i think there's a lot of legs to the stool you know to make it happen and um I, you know, I draw the labels, I write the schmutz, and I think it worked. I feel good about it. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks for noticing. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> of course, I think a lot of people have noticed on a daily basis. Um, so you were one of the first craft breweries in Wisconsin. So
0: kind no, of there was a new- like seven or eight here, I think. Okay. We were not the first by any stretch. Capital had been here a long time before us, and so had Sprecker and there was this place in Appleton, uh, and some people were smaller, you know, Point and Minhas. But uh, now there's more than a hundred, so yeah. it's a little bit of a movement, and I'm excited about that because it gives people more choices and more of an understanding. The more people understand where their food comes from, the more appreciation I think they have. It's a little bit like a farmer's market,
1: mm-hmm. and it is a business. Do you feel yeah. that competitive push against other small breweries?
0: I don't. I um, uh, this might be a girl thing. I- <laughs> I really don't care what they're doing I like I don't generally go to conferences I don't look at sales numbers I um I kind of have a saying that is I picked up from somewhere else that is to truly become number one you must constantly strive to surpass yourself not the competition I, I started the Brewers Guild I feel genuinely happy when people are doing well and I think it's sad when they're suffering and not doing well and I don't think it's good for the industry, and I think there's plenty of pie to go around. So, so
1: you just do you. And that's I a great just do thing. me. Yeah. <laughs> do you think other uh, small towns similar to New Glarus could benefit from a business like yours?
0: Yeah, I think, and I think you see that. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, even if it's not uh, beer, you see small towns embrace the businesses that are there, and there are lots of small breweries starting in little communities. So I, you know, it's good for everybody.
1: And that's probably a big part of your success is the support that you get from the community, especially in the beginning. Yeah, I think
0: so. I used to say that has 2,000 people in it. So I used to say, I have 2,000 salespeople because, you know, they would all say, why was that? You know, the hospital had a reception. I made sure they had your beer <laughs> there, you know. That's right. Yeah, it was important.
1: So talk to me about how healthcare and wages can create profit for business.
0: Well, I think that when what you really need, particularly for a manufacturer, is you need a stable workforce. You need people who show up ready to work with their boots on, clear-eyed, and focused, because it is not an easy job. This time of the year, it's super hot and sweaty. In the winter, it's freezing cold. You're standing on cement floors and running up and down the halls all day. I mean, it is physical work. So... By giving people healthcare and a living wage, what I have is a focused team of people that are committed to making world-class beer. And it's easy to look at a bank statement and say, well, you know, if I cut this or cut this, I make more money. And that's true for the short term, but it isn't true for the long term. And to really build, you know, we want a brewery that will be here long after we're gone. That's why we're employee owned now. So, and actually the guy, in charge of that project's hiding out back there. That's Drew Cochran. Hi! um, (laughs) So he uh, put the things together for us to be employee-owned and helps me run the brewery on the business side.
1: And was that a new thing that was implemented?
0: Yeah, I think four years maybe. Does that sound right? Yeah. I'm not good at numbers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) How many employees do you have?
0: North of 120. 120. and
1: you're talking about hiring more or
0: expanding yes we're hiring all the dang time so we run the jobs that are open on our website and people are welcome to apply you can get the application there and um yeah there we always have openings a very low turnover I'm proud to say less than one percent a year so it's not that people are leaving but when you have compounded growth of you know double digits anywhere between usually like 12 to 16% a year. That's a lot to add on and train.
1: So, speaking of the employees, why is investing in job skills so important, not only for your company, but for the state as a whole? We hear a lot about it. Oh, yes,
0: well, job skills, sadly, it is very hard to find people who have like, just rudimentary math skills or the ability to write. I find this interesting. Uh, My girls are done with grade school, of course, But apparently it's a new thing. They're not teaching cursive writing. I need, you know, and I think uh, not everybody's working on a computer. I mean, when they're walking around a plant or leaving people notes or filling out forms, I need them to be able to spell and write correctly and neatly and communicate or, you know, for figuring out what's going on with the fermentation. They need math skills and things that are physical, like connecting hoses or turning on pumps all of those things are used to be job skills that you got in school I remember I took welding and there was like a shop where kids could learn electrical and build houses and all of that has gone by the wayside and I sad to say I think they don't even get enough recess to where they're physically fit sometimes to be able to do the job of you know running equipment I mean it's they don't have to lift bales of straw but they have got to be able to stand and move comfortably throughout the day, so that you know that has to happen before they come to me. We we do spend a lot of time training people, but um, it makes us a weaker economy, I think, when education is overlooked.
1: With advancements in technology, have you had to adapt to anything? Has that applied to your business? Yeah. At all?
0: It has. uh, One of the things with, we started our brewery at Riverside in this old warehouse and in about, it was 2007 was our first brew, so about 2005 or six, we realized that we were running out of space. We built Hilltop, which is on the south end of town. So Hilltop is a very state-of-the-art environmentally. We've got so many safeguards and clean our effluence. we can return it to the community at drinking water quality and reclaim our heat so that we can heat up our water and chemicals and everything. So I'm really proud of it. And one of the goals was to make it, as because everybody's aging, including ourselves, to make it more ergonomically correct. And part of that is automation. So um, people who work at our brewery do know how to run computers and run them well, which is another thing that's interesting and left out of um, high school education. A lot of kids know how to do like word processing, or they'll get into the thing of computer games. But the IT work, the kind of ladder logic that is required by companies like myself with Siemens um, controls, it it needs. It's a different kind of thinking, and it's a computer language that you know would be fun probably for kids to learn if they were exposed to it. But there's a huge shortage. I mean, I know that the guys we bought our tanks from in with, in Milwaukee are uh, paying kids to come learn to be welders to make their equipment. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's incredible. The labor shortage is hitting, and it's going to hit Wisconsin hard.
1: Do you um, do any advocating in schools or anything to, to try to... Well, we give
0: scholarships to people, okay. and then we have lots of conversations with the vote and try to encourage them to do things
1: now i don't know the ins and outs of your business but i've heard you have some kind of innovative ways of running the business is that the case
0: i don't know (laughs) i am my own animal so i probably am doing things that other people don't i mean one of the things that we do in regards to hiring is have everybody come work for us for three days before they are hired and that helps them see what they're getting into because they're very rarely do they have a background in brewing and also for us to get to know them a little better i mean i do pay them they don't come for free but um that's part of our hiring process we promote from within almost all the time i mean very rarely is somebody brought in from the outside we manufacturing plants are most profitable if you run 24 7 without stopping but we're very committed to having no midnight shift and having time off on the weekends so that people have a reasonable lifestyle. Dan's a big innovator in brewing processes. Like we have the cool ship where we make sour beers and really there's every kind of beer from being very light like our totally naked dark things like coffee stout right now is something in the middle of Merrickson style the Oktoberfest so there's a lot of brewing innovation.
1: So uh, you're open for tours How many people would you say come through every year?
0: Well, we think it's somewhere between 250 and 300,000. So we're open year round from 10 till five, Monday through Saturday and noon to five on Sundays. And we do close some holidays or for weather events, but for the most part we're there. And uh, I'm sure today there'll be anywhere between it's a nice day out there's probably six or eight thousand people there right now my
1: yeah. goodness <laughs> craziness it's craziness <laughs> when they come through for a tour are they able to meet you guys if or does we, it depend well
0: we're, we're we're we aren't just standing there greet kmart <laughs> greeters with the name tag, right? right. <laughs> Although I think sometimes people think we are. Yeah. Like they'll be, "Oh, we're coming through. Can we have a beer?" And I'm thinking, "I'm working." Like <laughs> how would this brewery, you know, how do you run a 60 million dollar business if you're taking beer breaks? Yeah. But uh anyway, oh, uh, it sounds fun. Yeah, it's a nice idea. Yeah. It's like that thing on Facebook, what I do, what my mom right. thinks I do, what I really do. So, um We are there and we are walking up and down the halls and in places so people see us, but we're not standing waiting to greet people. But you are, one thing that's very unusual when we laid out our brewery, I designed the buildings and Dan laid out the equipment, is you get within arm's reach of all the equipment and the people who work there. And there's always somebody on the weekends from the brewery, I mean, we rotate, so everybody in the brewery takes a turn. And um, they will stand there and talk to you about brewing and how beer is made and how our brewery runs. So it is pretty nice. So if you haven't been
1: there, check it out. Yeah, um, <laughs> so you, So it's probably fun. I assume that y- your friends ask you, you know, come over for a party, bring some beer.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> they don't have to ask us to bring beer. We just, we just do.
1: Yeah. How about a keg?
0: <laughs> That's right.
1: Do you have a favorite of everything you brew?
0: I do not have a favorite child nor a favorite beer.
1: <laughs> not biased at all. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about, um, you know, not being able to buy outside of Wisconsin. Right. So what was the drive and the decision to limit distribution?
0: Well, limiting distribution really was a selfish act because I had been... I, you know, Keep in mind, Dan does production. I do everything else. So I used to be the person that sold the beer, too. And so I would get up at 3 in the morning and get dressed and drive to Chicago. So I'd be there at 7.30 or 8 and start selling beer on the streets of Chicago. And it was really awful. I mean, people were rude. The traffic is horrific. Everybody's got their hand out. And so I was having these repetitive conversations like, well, maybe I'll put your beer on. And if I buy one half barrel... How many do i get for free it's like are you kidding me like we're making 10 bucks on this i can't give you free beer and i was just sick of it and i then by the time i start to drive home it's before garmin i'd be so tired and i couldn't get out of downtown man i just hated it so um we had come to a point where we needed to expand again to keep up with sales and i said you know what let's just pull out of illinois and then we'll have our 10 or 15 percent to get us by for a year or two. And and that's what we did. And it was, it, it came with a lot of controversy. I, I got, was threatened with lawsuits for doing it. Wholesalers didn't like it that I was, you know, taking products away from them that they could sell. I was threatened, if you come back here, you better give us your brands back. Don't be thinking you can pull out for a couple of years and then, um, you know, we're going to sell your beer anymore. And it was, it was quite contentious. But I thought it was the right, you know, if you're focused on your goal, and the goal is to make world-class beer and take care of the people around us, it made perfect sense, and uh, as it turns out, it was like genius marketing, but I didn't, it wasn't why I did it initially, well, I re- which I could take credit for it, but yeah, that's not it.
1: There's something to be said then for kind of keeping it some simple yeah. and within your comfort zone yep. and, and still having the success. And you've won a number of beer competitions around the world.
0: Many, many awards. We have trophy cases full of awards. So uh, regularly, Dan's been recognized for the best specialty beers in the world, you know, fruit beers. The Spotted Cow just took a gold medal a couple weeks ago. There's a, a lot of awards.
1: So we'll start with our questions from the audience now. So how much are the names of the beers responsible for success?
0: Hmm. Are they responsible for success? Well, they don't hurt, I'll tell you that. Yeah. But, um, I, you know, I think that success has a lot of things that come together. And um, certainly there's a lot of beers that are successful that just have really odd names. You know, like Budweiser's there's a weird name. Yeah. You know, Leinenkugels. You know, mm-hmm. so it's not like you have to have a name to have the beer be uh, successful. Um, But when I named Spotted Cow and the name since then, um, there are things that make me laugh that I think are identifiable with our state, and so I felt like it helped brand us from this area like Terroir, And, um, and I do think it helps. I don't know what percentage.
1: Do you have these brainstorming sessions where it takes you hours to come up with a name?
0: Um, no, what I do is I like words, and I hear words, and I think, oh, that is that is a good word. That would make a good name, and I write it down, and hopefully when a new beer comes out, I've got kind of a list going, and there's some names I haven't been able to use yet, but sometimes... We make beers, and I don't have a name ready, and it is a lot of pressure. And then if you happen to be the unfortunate subject of one of my test trials, when (laughs) you come to the brewery and you think you're just walking around enjoying yourself, I I mean, I just walk up to people. and They almost always say, "What's? are you going to have something new out? And I'll say, oh, yeah, we're thinking of making this, and then I will try out names on people and see what their reaction is. (laughs) And... So they're just guinea pigs.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you're reading like facial expressions and.
0: Yeah, I kind of want them to like laugh and go, yeah. "Oh yeah, good name," or I, this is the one you don't want, uh, huh? <laughs> <laughs> <How's that out? laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah, that that's not a good reaction. <laughs> so cut that one.
1: Cut that one. Um, Okay, I apologize if I read any of these incorrectly, but would it be better for your business and other small businesses to scrap the three-tier system altogether?
0: Well, that is an interesting question. I I do not think it would be better to scrap the three-tier system. The three-tier system in all of the states after Prohibition, they enacted rules that said the manufacturer, the distributor, and the retailer of alcoholic products needed to be entirely separate. And the idea there is, and if you travel to other parts of the world, you'll see that brewers, you know, think of like InBev. There's brewers that are, you know, hundreds of millions, billions of barrels. They have way more money than, I don't even, I can't even imagine the amount of money that they have. So they go to areas and they either buy the restaurants and bars or they give them things like tables and chairs or vacations to keep their beer on. And it's common if you go to places like England to walk into a pub and you'll only see one beer beer brand. They might have a couple styles, but only one beer brand. And that makes it really hard for craft brewers to get going because I obviously am not gonna be able to sell beer to the Anheuser-Busch bar down the street. So the separation of the tiers is important. Um, but if you guys follow the brewery, you probably know over the last 15 years people have been trying to legislate themselves competitive advantages in the marketplace. And sadly, our political landscape is uh, full of people needing to make money. And that's what lobbyists do is they hand out money and kind of state their cause and maybe don't tell the full story. And even now, there's some things going around the legislature that, you know, this will affect my day-to-day operations. And I'm not allowed a seat at the table to discuss it. Best-selling craft beer in the state, one in four draft beers is spot a cow or a new Glarus product. But um, rules get enacted where I have absolutely no say in what happens until after it's public.
1: Interesting. So you're not brought into a lot of these conversations? I'm not brought
0: into any of them. And it's frustrating for all the small brewers Mm -hmm. to not get, we call it a seat at the table. And so then you have to kind of guess who's writing the rules and what are they saying. And there are big changes can be made. You know, the politicians, they, there's so many things that they have to keep track of. And they work a lot of hours and then they're supposed to spend half their time on the phone calling people, asking for donations. I mean, where are the hours in the day to try to figure out a complicated system and whether one word really makes a difference? You know, for example wasn't that long ago that um, craft brewers, we no longer have the legal right to uh, fire a wholesaler. Not at all, just don't have it. Can't do it. You can do it and you can get one wholesaler to buy your wholesaler, and they need to compensate each other with money, but we don't have the legal right anymore to just fire somebody for doing a horrible job.
1: So how do you kind of overcome some of these challenges that you face to, you know, keep your head above water, to stay positive about things when they might not be going your way or the way that you hoped?
0: Well, I have a long list of personal things that include my dogs.
1: <laughs> good. And good long walks.
0: <laughs> painting. But um, in the marketplace, uh, that's a lot of why selling beer in Wisconsin is so great, because it allows us the ability to have relationships with restaurants and taverns and the consumer and so that you know something just happened on Friday where a frustrated tavern owner called me and was really angry about a three-tier system issue and so I was really grateful that he called and you know felt like we had enough of a relationship even though we'd never met that he could call and kind of yell at me because then I could hear what his thoughts were and have a conversation and by the end of it, we're all friends, and you know that doesn't happen everywhere. And it certainly wouldn't happen if I was selling beer in 20 or 30 states.
1: Um, so why do you think Spotted Cow has become such a Wisconsin icon?
0: Well, we got to give props to the brewmaster. <laughs> it's a pretty nice beer, but um, I think that it hit at the right time. It's a, I mean, it's a great flavor. It's very delicate and also complex at the same time. Very approachable, unfiltered. Um, and when I made the decision to name that beer Cow, I, you Cow, know, I really didn't know that it would work. It's, you know, you think about the mid-90s. That was a pretty crazy name. And my wholesalers were not impressed. <laughs> and they were trying really hard to talk me out of it. And one wholesaler wouldn't pick it up for a year. And I had to, like, kind of have a conversation in the corner of the room with him. You know, like, hey, buddy, this beer is selling, and you better start selling it and he was very blunt in saying you do not expect me to put a name like spotted cow next to Budweiser do you and I was like oh yeah I do (laughs) like get with the program yeah so um you know now I think that it's I thought at the time it would either be a huge hit or a total flop and I do think that it's something that's uniquely Wisconsin and our dairy industry is important to us I feel like it's a little bit of props to the farmers and our agricultural climate. You know, even if we're in Madison, there's lots of farms around us. And and when you travel other places, it isn't the same. If you're in Colorado, it's going to be beef cows.
1: Yeah, it's easy to connect the two, Spotted Cow and and Wisconsin. Um, What is your belief starting as a small business owner on the concept of increasing minimum wage?
0: Well, I think that uh, a living wage is very important. And It's frustrating to me as a responsible business owner who provides insurance and pays taxes. It is frustrating to me that others do not participate in doing that. And um, you have to question, and there's been periods in my life, I mean, my mom um, had uh, subsidized housing while she was teaching and a single mom. Um, Is the help really to the person collecting the check you know that's the thing like if if somebody is working 40 hours or 60 hours and they can't make enough money to pay the bills to pay for an apartment and a car and food um is the subsidy really to the person getting food stamps i you know i would argue that it is to the business and that businesses need to unite together to take care of their people there is no business that runs without people, even if it is very um, mechanized. Somebody's got to be the IT guy to run it. Somebody has to provide power to run the electricity. There, you know, the fallacy that you can run without people is simply a fantasy, and I think it's sad when people run their businesses off of a balance sheet instead of really taking care of the people who take care of them.
1: How big is your production? <clears throat> How many barrels would you say you brew a year? Um,
0: well, we did 220 last year. We'll probably do 235, 240 maybe this year. Yeah, so it's a lot.
1: When you walk in every day and you kind of see what you've created, what, what's the feeling that you get?
0: You know what's funny is until a few years ago, um, I just walk in and think about, the tasks that need to be done that day like I'm thinking about it when I wake up I'm thinking about it maybe talking to Dan about it before we go to work and I walk in and I kind of am like you know go like what's the fight today (laughs) and a few years ago uh, somebody made a film about us and people started to ask that like you are like aren't you proud of yourself and I'm thinking well yeah but really I'm way more concerned with the next uh, challenge and so I've tried to change that. It's better for my mental health if I <laughs> am not so driven. And uh, I feel really good about it. But mostly what I feel good about is the people who are there. You know, and that's where you see the courage. You know, right now I can name at least three families affected by cancer at our brewery. You know, and there's um, MS. Two different people have family members. And there's new babies. And, you know, that, that's the courage. That's where the heroes are.
1: Do your kids work with you now?
0: Uh, one does. Okay. One, our younger daughter is a licensed architect, and she worked in Madison for Potter Lawson for some years, and I stole her back one summer for to help with construction. Okay. So we've had her for a couple of years now, and she's just finishing up the expansion of our depot and tasting room and cellar project. So we keep her plenty busy.
1: Now, is the goal many years down the road to have your children kind of take over the business, or?
0: Nope, we're employee-owned, so the employees will be taking over. And she's there, so I think she'll be part of it. But uh, we're trying to put together teams so that it it can live for, I'm hoping, many generations.
1: This is a good one. Okay. Do you have any interest in politics?
0: That's funny. (laughs) No.
1: (laughs) Are you sure about that?
0: (laughs) Pretty sure.
1: That was actually one of my questions too. Really? Yeah, uh, rumblings about. you know, I just wonder why people think that I
0: would be, and wouldn't I stink at it? <laughs> like, first of all, I I swear a lot, and I'm not good <laughs> with names, and I'm not uh, I don't have you know pat answers, and I'm not known for being polite. And I think our politicians, quite frankly, have to spend too much time fundraising, so they can't focus on what they need to do which makes them vulnerable to lobbyists, and that's where the money comes in. So, um, no, no way in hell.
1: (laughs) Well, I assume the idea with people who were hoping you would run for office is a different kind of politician than they're used to seeing.
0: Yeah, you know what? That's interesting, because I was, uh, I was, I, I do, you know, politicians come around. I have very strong opinions that kind of lean left, but... I think I'm very middle of the road, and some of my opinions are very conservative, and I support both parties many times. So I'm not a party person, and I don't see myself that way, but when um, the Obama administration was in, they reached out to people who had won business awards and invited us to come give our opinions and help them with the economy, and I thought, God, what a great idea, you know, that anybody would care. And so I went to these meetings after I'd won, like, best small business person and regional business person of the year. And sure enough, there was people from the White House there and then was invited later to D.C. And when he left office, there was a final meeting uh, just before he left. And the message was, and I think he's right, that America is built on grassroots and that you can't make change from the top and he felt that maybe he had overestimated the ability to make change from the top, and that's what needs to happen now. We need to make change every day to do what we can in our corner of the world to make things change. Don't look for the top to fix it. What,
1: what was that experience like to be you know, a brewer in Wisconsin, only selling in Wisconsin, but to be recognized on the national level?
0: was a little surreal. I mean, when I won for the best business person in Wisconsin, I thought that was like, huh, okay. Well, that's, I mean, that's great and that's wonderful. And then they had this fancy dinner in D.C. where then every state, you know, gets talked about. And I had absolutely, I thought that was the end of it. That was, you know, I had invited our local bank down because they are part of my team and Dan was there. We went out to dinner, stayed out kind of late went to the reception and they're talking about people and Dan said you better start thinking of something to say and I was like really what what oh no just in case like no because they were talking about me and I didn't even I didn't I wasn't I was like yeah no that does kind of sound like they might be talking about me oh yeah it is so I had the time that it takes to like wiggle through the tables to think of something to say and I was really shocked And I didn't win Best in the Nation, but first runner-up. So I thought, oh, my goodness. Well, um, then the next one was Regional Entrepreneur of the Year. And then this is actually was at a turning point in my life because we'd gotten Hilltop going, and i have really been praying, should I continue to be working this hard on the business or should I do other things? Like, I'm an artist, and I'll tell you I love painting. The time just flies. Like, oh, it's dinner time, and that's, you know, my work days at the are hard. And so I thought, maybe I can do something else. And that was a year that I won those awards and was invited to the White House. So I thought, no, I think that's, I think that's a pretty clear answer. I think that, I think God has spoken. <laughs> you, I have work to do, so I am doing it.
1: Is faith a big part of your life?
0: I, it is, but I'm not really very religious and I never go to church. Uh, but I, I do, I think that we're all here for a reason. And, um you know that's the end of that i'm spiritual
1: Uh, your company's social aspects are really admirable does it also have any environmental features did i read that correctly
0: yeah i think they're asking about we do we do a lot of environmental things we were the first brewery to implement a membrane system to filter our brewery effluent we uh, capture all the heat the condensate receivers that come off of the kettle so we can heat up our water and prepare for the next brew. We reclaim the chemicals from cleaning and recirculate them, you know, maybe onto floors or something. We take the grain from our beer and feed it to local cows that they make milk that gets made into cheese. So I think we're very environmentally friendly and it's a important part of what we do. And we're always trying to do, you know, a little more and a little better.
1: So you're giving back to the spotted cows.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> the cows like that grain. The farmers say they give more milk. And I think they do. Ah, like there we'll you think go. they're like walking around eating, you know, grass and then some grain. Here they get this nice, you know, really high quality grain all warmed up and kind of, you know, mushy liquid. They're probably like, Wow, this is party <laughs> night.
1: So what are the plans, you know, in the future? Big plans for more expansion? Do you plan to continue to grow, or will it be that's a not point? really
0: how I operate? I know it's a horrible answer, but <laughs> I am just looking at the tasks that I need to do tomorrow, and then we'll see where that takes us. Because Dan and I thought that we would be maybe an eight thousand or ten thousand, or if we were wildly successful, maybe we'd be a fifteen thousand barrel brewery. So to be making 220,000, 240,000 barrels, it's like mind-boggling. I, I, I can't wrap my head around it, and I don't do not have aspirations to be bigger. I have aspirations of a, a weekend off. I'm not
1: <laughs> A vacation. Yeah, we're
0: we're working really hard.
1: That's fantastic. I've been there
0: oh. almost 25, and I want my six weeks.
1: You, just, you deserve <laughs> it. You deserve it. Oh my goodness. Mm. Um, I do have another question. Can can we talk about how much money you bring in every year?
0: Yeah, we're our sales this year will be better than sixty million dollars. Wow. Yeah, so it's awesome. A, yeah, and uh, <laughs> about eight or ten million of construction this year and last year, and uh, we buy all of our cans, bottles, boxes. We're the largest user of Wisconsin barley, the largest user of Wisconsin hops. That's another eight or ten million each year, so we are a driver of the Wisconsin economy. This whole thing of fair wages and health care really does build the economy.
1: Well, Deb, it was a wonderful conversation. Yeah. We, appreciate, Thank you, Amber. we appreciate all you've done for the state and, and for giving back and, and for the product. Thank, Thank you, Dan. You.